Hey everyone, welcome to our inaugural edition of Mind the Snap, a podcast about all things Marvel. My name is Brandon. And I'm Zach. We're really excited to get started here with you guys on this nice, chilly, snowy afternoon. Um, we're here for the first time and we just kind of want to kick things off by introducing ourselves and talk a little bit about who we are and what got us into Marvel. All right, so I guess I'll start out. Um, so as far as who I am, uh, I love to write um, and definitely into music, into Marvel, uh, really comics in general, um, and uh, sports. I love to play basketball as well. Um, yeah, and I'm sure I'll probably, you know, fill you all in a little more about myself as we go along. Sounds good. Well, I know for me, um, Marvel is a big part of my life and a big part of who I am. Um, but that aside... I like to consider myself a jack of all trades. I love to make music, I'm a musician. I am an aspiring paleontologist. I'm an artist, a writer, and a big outdoorsman as well. So I like to keep things interesting. And what do you do in your free time? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's another little piece about us, Zach. There's a connection that we haven't discussed. That's right. And it's kind of weird to be doing a podcast like this, but I guess, you know, that's just kind of relationship that we have. It is, because we are actually father and son. That's right. So, Which is which, though? That's the question. You let them figure that out. Uh, I think that my say. voice sounds more mature and ancient. Wow, so. that's rough. All right. <laughs> I'm going to let that one slide this time because I'm in a good mood, but it's all right. Fair enough. For those of you <laughs> who don't know, uh, Brandon, yes, I am the father. I am yes. your father, Zach. Uh, ooh. See, this isn't a Star Wars podcast. Oh, so you okay. can't do that. All right. My bad. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> All right, so next, I think what we'll do is let's talk a little bit about how we got into Marvel. Does Great. that work? That's awesome. Okay. Well, I know for me growing up, um, I actually got a lot of my comics from you. Actually, a lot of the comics that I started out with, a lot of the old uh, Spider-Man omnibus and the old Avengers and Iron Man and stuff like that, it all came from you uh, for the most part. Um, but I think I started reading comics... Originally, I was pretty young. I was still in grade school, mm -hmm. um, and I was picking up. I was going to the store. We had this comic store um, in downtown Spokane right. that we used to go to, and um, I used to look for. They had the run of Spider-Man that was going on in that time that was specifically aimed for like it was a it was the reboot that was going on during that time. I don't remember what line it was hmm. now, okay. but um, I started picking that up. I was looking for the new issue every time we went there, and we mm -hmm. kept going there and. Uh, uh, I started getting into like Marvel Hero Clicks at that time. Remember right. that? Yes, Marvel yes. I had a few. Yeah, just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Um, so that was how I started. That I started with Spider Man. That was my intro, and he's got a special place in my heart for that reason. Um, and we can talk more about that later because I want to do an episode on Spider Man and why he's important. But Fair enough. Anyway, Absolutely. That's for later. So I don't know if you remember one of the things that we did as parents when you were pretty young is we actually bought you and your brother uh, Marvel Adventures. Uh, comics and that I might have been your first, yeah that might have been your first Spider-Man exposure that actually. might have been because yeah. they had the Marvel Adventures and they had like the team up with like the Fantastic Four and right. stuff and those and right. oh that was a you might be right that might have been it for yeah. me yeah because then there was those and there was the Omnibus too the big the big bound the you're talking about the black and white yeah yeah uh -huh. the, the newspaper collections. print yep. yeah mm -hmm. those were classy so my first exposure with Marvel was actually a little different than yours. Uh, it's going to date me pretty quickly. Probably. Uh, <laughs> That's something we're going to do a lot in this podcast is just realize how old you're getting. Thank you. Yeah, yes. you're welcome. So my first exposure was actually, I lived at the time in Southern California, um, and we lived maybe, I don't know, a half mile from a 7-Eleven. Mm. Um, and I would, when I was maybe seven or eight, 
I would walk over to the 7-Eleven and they had spinner racks of comics. Wow. Yes. That does date you really. Yes. And I was just fascinated by them and I would uh, pick up either uh, Spider-Man was a big one for me also. Um, And I also picked up G.I. Joe. Um, So I had a number of the issues there. Um, Probably my most exciting pickup at the time and the thing I most regret now um, was I did pick up the first appearance of Venom. Ooh. Yes. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going with this. Yes. I unfortunately destroyed that comic as a kid because I'm an idiot. And I thought it would be really fun to – so I don't know if if listeners will connect with this or not, but some of you, if you've ever been to Sunday school – um, you know that they used to do back in the day. They do these felt boards, and they have Those like great. Bible characters, and they paste them to the felt board, and they tell stories with them. I thought it would be super fun to do that with my Spider-Man comic, and so I actually cut out uh, Spider-Man and Venom and all the different characters uh, and made stories. I think on my pillow on my bed, um, mm. never knowing that I was destroying what would eventually become a you know super expensive collector's item. Uh, but you know, whatever. I had fun. <laughs> live and learn. Yeah. Right? Live and learn. It was around this time for listeners too that the Transcontinental Railroad was being constructed. <laughs> okay, all right. I wasn't quite that old. All right. What so, about the MCU? What do you? Where Where did the movies start for you? What do you What do you remember about the move? The beginning of the MCU. So I actually started from day one. I was super excited when I heard that Iron Man was coming out, um, and I was one of the people who thought Robert Downey was going to be perfect uh, as Tony Stark, and super happy to see that that was the case. That he totally nailed the character. Um, so yeah, I was able to get in on ground one, um, and you know, really experience it from the beginning. So that was a lot of fun. How about you? Well, I know for me, my experience was with the the same movie. Uh, it was with Iron Man, but many years later. Um, it was 2011. The trailer for the very first Avengers movie had just come out. Um, and of course, as a kid who had read those comics, it was really exciting for me. But I had never watched any of the movies prior to this. So I remember leading up to that, um, the Avengers came out in 2012. So I would have been like 11 years old when that movie came out. So leading up to when that movie was going to come out so we could all go to the theater and see it together, um, you went back with me and we watched through some of the pre-existing Marvel movies that had already come out, like um, Iron Man and mm-hmm. Thor and stuff like that, those movies that had already come out. We went back and we watched those. Um, and so I think that's that was probably started. So I started at the beginning, but it had already been going for yeah. Years. So you had not started I had not started, in fact, at the beginning, <laughs> um, chronologically speaking. Right. Um, but yeah, and, and then I've kept since then, and we've been kept keeping, you know, really close to it and watching it as soon as possible. Although lately, I've been kind of slacking. You know, really? I missed I missed Multiverse of Madness when that came out. I had to watch it later. Um, the last one I watched as soon as it came out was The Eternals. So, but you've watched Black Panther now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, but that because I have I started I picked back up on it, so I watched that in the theater when it was still out too at a, at a dine-in AMC. Um, there was like three of us in the theater. So nice. Did cool. you get the chicken fingers or what did you have? As you, you know what? Day? I had I had a chicken quesadilla. Okay. While All I right. was watching Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Excellent. So, yeah. So I feel like we've explained kind of more or less why we're qualified to do this. People start to believe us. Um, we've done a lot of background about our comics. We're really, we're really, uh, um, gone in depth with that. Um, I think both of us carry a lot of knowledge with us about the comics and the history of the Marvel universe. So, um, why don't we take a break on that for just a minute? Cause we're kind of, uh, we're kind of in a dead zone right now, um, for, for Marvel content for the most part for this, the end of this year. 
Um, yeah, just for reference, we're recording this towards the end of 2022 yes. in December. Uh, so at this point, there's kind of a gap in movies. Black Panther just came out. Mm-hmm. By the time this releases, we're going to still be a ways off, I think, from even Ant-Man. So um, we're kind of in a dead zone right now as far as the MCU goes. So I think to kind of get people a better uh, better idea of who we are, why don't we kind of go into our top five most impactful science fiction fantasy movies. So why don't you why don't you start us off with that and kind of tell us uh, your top five? Then? Awesome. Well, I did not come prepared. You, right. This is totally a surprise, and I did not prepare a bunch of notes. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so one of the things I think we kind of thought was is that this might you know just help kind of set the stage for who we are a little bit, what our interests are. At some point in a later date, we'd like to revisit this and do a top five Marvel movies. Right now, we're just going to focus on general sci-fi and fantasy uh, movies. And as I assembled my list, one of the things that really came out to me pretty quickly was that this list wasn't necessarily going to be like, you know, the top five movies as recognized by, you know, AFI or one of those other, you know, movie boards that pick like the top movies of all time. Because what is impactful to me, I think, is different than maybe what others would say is like, you know, are, are like the agreed, you know, top five quality movies. Um, so I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert right now. One example of that is like a movie like Blade Runner didn't end up making the cut for me because okay. while I love that movie and I think it has a lot of merit, it did not land in my top five. So sure. listeners, if you want to call me a heathen and, and turn off the podcast right now, go ahead. I'm sorry to miss you. But, well, if they um, do that, they're going to they're gonna really gang up on me because I haven't even watched Blade Runner. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to fix that at some point here. I watched part of the Ryan Gosling one. Does that count? Well, sure. It's not a bad movie, but the first one is definitely uh, better, I think. All so. right. All right, anyway, so without further ado, my top five. Uh, at number five, um, I have Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Awesome. Um, that movie, I had to include a Star Wars movie, and obviously if you're going to include one, you have to pick the best one. Um, so anyway, yes, number five. What I thought we could do is maybe do a little, just a high-level two-sentence summary in case we happen to find a movie that you've never heard of as a listener, um, and then kind of go into our thoughts a little bit on why, you know, to defend our picks on why we think we should be top five. So for those of you who don't know Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, um, that movie is about Kirk and Bones and Spock <laughs> uh, as they travel back in time to swinging San Francisco uh, in the 1980s and bring two humpback... Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. That is a different franchise. I apologize. <laughs> Um, I'm not even going to recap Star Wars. If you don't know what that is, you're probably not listening to this podcast. That's a so, great point. Yeah. We don't support people who haven't watched Star Wars yet. No, no, no. We do, but we recommend that you do that quickly. <laughs> you should. You should. Yeah. All, all, all jokes aside, Star Wars is, is, is awesome. Yeah, so that's my number five. So some of my thoughts on that, you know, I think it's easily the best Star Wars film to date. Uh, Rogue One, New Hope are also very good, but I think Empire Strikes Back uh, takes the cake there. Um, you know, Irvin Kirshner is the director. Um, he really was, I think, because he was the director, it freed George Lucas from some of his worst tendencies. Um, and, you know, just as a tighter movie, um, it brings a good balance between action and, and character moments, um, humor. Um, there's actual real emotion in the movie. So to me, it's just the best of the Star Wars franchise. Um, you know, the reveal of Darth Vader as Luke's father, one of the worst kept spoilers maybe now. Um, 
outside of like, you know, the narrator in Fight Club or whatever, but um, still one of the all-time like great sucker punch moments in a sci-fi movie, I think, uh, especially if you didn't know it was coming. I mean, the prequels weren't out yet when that came out, so no one, no <laughs> one knew who Anakin Skywalker was. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, highlights for me, I think, also are the interaction between Harrison Ford's Han Solo character and Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia. Um, I feel like that movie is where their chemistry really comes to the forefront, mm-hmm. and you really see it. Um, their banter almost feels to me kind of like a 1930s or 40s movie, as far as the way they kind of play together. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then I think, like, the scene in The Falcon where they kiss, and then C-3PO interrupts them about, you know, something about isolating the reverse power coupling. Um, and Solo just gives him this glare of 3PO backing away. It's just this great kind of classic romance and humor moment. So um, also I think maybe one of the things I'd say is is that the, actually the quotable dialogue in this movie is a lot higher than people might realize. Um, we get all these classic lines like Leia saying, I love you, and Han's response, I know. Um, that's a great moment. And I feel like you can buy so many like promise rings or like engagement rings with Absolutely. those lines engraved in them. Absolutely. So that's a big thing now. I mean, Darth Vader's I'm your father line, great Yoda's stuff. do or do not, there is no try, uh, laugh it up fuzzball, um, you know, never tell me the odds, all these, all these quotes that people know about and have seen and heard, you know, they all came from this movie. So it just has so many good quotable moments as well. And if you're anything like me, you just add those to your daily dialogue yes. and no one has any idea what you're talking definitely, about. Definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. So that's my number five. All right. Number four for me is The Matrix. Interesting pick. I don't that's that's very interesting to me. I don't know if it would have ranked that high for me. So that is very interesting. I'm very curious to see where you go with this. Well, okay, so first of all, this just in case again you're living under a rock, the summary on this movie, I'm just taking this straight from Wiki. Um, the Matrix depicts a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside the Matrix. Uh, a simulated reality that intelligent machines have created to distract humans while using their bodies as an energy source. So um, my thoughts on this, uh, this movie, actually, I just went back and rewatched it not that long ago. It holds up really well, uh, even though it came out in 1999. Um, you know, there's definitely the wire foo work that they use in it, that kind of like, you know, that moment where the people hang in the air and the camera kind of swings around them. Um, that, of course, has been done now to death, and there's a lot of movies that use that. But that movie really is the one that, that had that for the first time. There was a lot of camera angles in Matrix and a lot of camera tricks that they did that absolutely pushed the boundaries of filmmaking at the time. Because, I mean, you've heard about the, the camera in the tie and everything, right? right? To see the reflection on the doorknob. Yes. There are some crazy camera angles in there that just revolutionized cinematography. Yeah, and, and I think it, it really just holds up well. The special effects are still really good. Um, it's just one of those great classic sci-fi movies. Um, you know, I even think that the story holds up. You know, it's a dystopian world where escapism lies just a VR machine away. And I think about like, hey, the metaverse, anyone? Um, <laughs> so it kind of feels still very groundbreaking, but also applicable today. Um, characters are constantly connecting and uploading things online. Um, the virtual world becomes more dominant and important than the real one. Um, machines are slowly taking over our lives, um, albeit packaged in neat white boxes with fruit logos on them now in real life versus in a movie where these like vaguely insect or squid like creatures. But, you know, we're in the same kind of it just it feels very applicable today. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, you know, the overall message, I feel like it does get lost a little bit as the trilogy goes on, just with all the focus on the action and things like that. But I think originally the message was, you know, you don't have to subject yourselves 24-7 to virtual or augmented fantasy. You can get out from behind your computer. 
that salvation kind of lies in our ability to step away from our PC once in a while and see like the real life sun and enjoy a real life human interaction outdoors or whatever with friends instead of just online all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that that again, still really holds as a good message today for us. That's great. Um, you know, this movie also really is the start of a deep, sometimes unnecessarily convoluted mythology, um, utilizing computer programming as its backbone talks about things like oracles and key makers and ciphers and code modifiers. But, you know, it, it's for me anyway, as someone who likes mythology, it offers a lot to dig into, even if it doesn't just like hold up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a huge sucker for religious uh, iconography. Um, there is a lot of both Christian and Greco references in that movie. Um, you know, there's a character called Trinity. There's also an actual Trinity of main heroes with Morpheus and Neo as well. Um, Neo himself is an anagram for the word the one, um, you know, born of simple trappings and grows into his powers and becomes an all-powerful savior by the end of the movie. Um, Morpheus is the name of a Greek god of dreams. Um, their ship Icarus uh, is a reference to a man who flew too close to the sun. The wax wings that melted. So. Yep, yep. So, you know, there's all these different imageries there. Uh, the concept of sacrificial resurrection pops up throughout the film, or throughout the trilogy anyway, I think once in this film. Um, you know, it's just a film that is rife with spiritual analogy, which I find fascinating as well. We're big mythology, guys. We're big, <laughs> we're big uh, biblical, metaphorical. Yeah, it's great. But can I just say um, Keanu Reeves? You can say that's, Keanu That's Reeves. all you have to say, and that, that enough lands it in the top five. So fair enough. Yeah. He does a good job in this movie yeah. being Keanu Reeves. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So number three for me, this is one that probably will be on a lot of people's lists. Number three is the dark Knight. Great. Absolutely. Yep. Um, again, I think everyone's pretty familiar with the storyline of this movie, but it follows Batman and uh, police Lieutenant James Gordon, um, district attorney Harvey Dent, as they are trying to dismantle an organized crime, uh, you know, syndicate that's occurring in Gotham city. They're being thwarted by the Joker played by Heath Ledger. Um, and so one of my thoughts on this is that, you know, I think Batman works best in cinema when the writers focus on why and how he employs fear as a tactic. Um, there's actually the more recent reboot, uh, the one that's titled the Batman that just came out oh, with, uh, Robin Patterson. Robin Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah, yeah. Robert Pattinson. Uh, it has a terrific sequence early in the movie uh, with a, with a Robert Pattinson voiceover, in fact, where he talks about that the bat symbol isn't just a call, it's a warning. Um, and he mentions that fear is his tool to keep the criminal element in line. And in that movie, during that voiceover, the, it shows this like this petty criminal knocking over a convenience store. Uh, and as he's running away, he kind of goes past this dark alley. And there's this moment where he looks down the alley in fear. And it kind of also cuts to someone as part of a gang that they're they're tagging the side of a building with spray can with spray mm-hmm. paint. Um, and a spray paint can rolls into a dark area, a corner that's dark, and he won't go get it. Because it's the same idea of, like, maybe Batman is lurking in the shadows. And I think in both cases, the movie kind of implies that Batman's not there at the moment. But the fear is so heavy that these people are scared to go into the shadows. And I thought that was a great moment. Awesome. Yeah, and it's it's one of my favorite scenes of any Batman movie. I don't think the movie itself lands on my top five, but that scene is definitely a great one. I would have to say that is especially as an opening scene to a movie. If you count all the superhero movies that have ever come out, the, the intro to the Batman ranks among my top. Just that opening sequence is one of the greatest openings to a superhero movie I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is phenomenally done. It really ties into the the, the idea that Christopher Nolan Batman was, was aiming for. Yeah, so great, great uh, way to bring it back because I, I feel like in The Dark Knight, 
Um, one of the things that Nolan really brings out in his in this case is how Batman or how fear in general changes things. You know, Batman. Um, you know, yes, he obviously uses fear as a tool, but so does the Joker. But the Joker does it in a different way. Um, you know, he he's kind of this mentality. He just wants to watch the world burn, which Alfred tells Bruce Wayne at one point in the movie. Um, he doesn't really care exactly about defeating Batman. He just wants chaos. Um, and he wants, I think, you know, uses this fear to show that people also lie to themselves. Um, and, the, you know, he uses fear as a tool like, you know, Batman. Yes, Batman can't save everyone in the movie. And I think that starts to come to the forefront. But more chillingly, I think he shows the fear that the people that run the asylum, pun intended, uh, aren't any better than the lowlifes that are considered to be inside the walls of the asylum. There's that scene where the Joker sets up that scenario where there's two two groups of people on two boats. Um, and he tells each of them that they have a bomb on the boat and then tells them that the detonator is held by the other group of people. Uh, one of the groups is a group of criminals. Another one are everyday people. Um, and that scene, you know, showing that basically the everyday people actually get closer to blowing up the criminal boat than the criminals do to blowing up the everyday mm -hmm. people showing that, that once you get to a certain point and your confidence kind of fails in the general order of things um, that society kind of breaks down and it's, it's all just tied together by a very tenuous thread. Right. And so it kind of shows that. Um, it definitely I, deals a lot with, with the concept of self-preservation and the idea that, hum that humanity is never quite as, as good as we like to think that we are. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I listened to a podcast analysis of the movie that, that really stood out to me, too, that talked about how Dark Knight's one of Dark Knight's points as well as it talks about the lies we tell ourselves. That, you know, Batman is lying to himself in numerous ways. He keeps a secret identity, obviously, um, as Bruce Wayne. He also believes that he can't find happiness with his true love with Rachel Dawes, which is a lie as well. Um, he says everyone should uphold the law, but he himself operates as a vigilante outside of the law. Um, and then also he even lies about whether or not his Dark Knight persona is really needed to keep order. Um, the reality is I think he needs the Batman as much as he believes that society needs mm. the Batman, right? To give him meaning. This should be a Batman podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I digress. You're right. I'm getting a little longer. No, I'm saying this is this is great stuff. <laughs> the, the analysis that's happening on the Dark Knight right now is phenomenal. Well, so I think, I guess what I'm saying is that's why it makes it such a good movie to me, you know? And, and I look at how deep they can get when you have a really a comic book movie that fires on all cylinders. And, you know, you hear people like Martin Scorsese or Terry Gilliam who, who, you know, say things like, Oh, superhero movies aren't real cinema, you know, and they, they don't have a place. And I think, yeah, you know, that's really not true. I mean, I think done well, I think superhero movies can, can bring value to cinema and can really still tell us good stories as well. All right. Number two, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I knew that was going to be, I, I just, I, I, as soon as, as soon as, because when we were talking about this originally and pitching this idea for the podcast, I remember the first thing you said was like, let's pitch our top five, like sci-fi, superhero, fantasy movie. And I was like, he's going to put Lord of the Rings on this list and it's going to be higher up than it should be. <laughs> it, that is false. It is not higher up than it should be. Um, no, Lord of the Rings is, 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 is awesome. And as a franchise, there's so much thought it put into it and so much love and dedication. It's, it's an awesome franchise. You know, honestly, you summed up, I think some of my points really well. So yes, I, I agree. Um, you know, watching the characters, uh, mature, you know, Frodo starts out in one place at the beginning of the trilogy and ends up at a very different place at the end. Um, you know, where he's more confident and sure of himself. Um, you know, so there's some great character moments. Um, great action scenes in that last movie. You know, the final battle uh, at Minas Tirith um, is easily one of the best in the whole trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this great mix of like practical effects, models, CG, 
is something that you don't see enough of in movies that are, you know, effects heavy today. And actually, I think it's something that is to Jackson's detriment when he does the Hobbit trilogy. Yeah. Because he relies too heavily on CG, not enough on practical effects. Although it gives us great behind the scenes of seeing Benedict Cumberbatch on all fours in a mocap suit. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like this is give and take. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> playing, trying to play the dragon there. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Return of the King lands up there for me again, just like, you know, I mentioned before, I like uh, the religious analogies. Um, obviously Return of the King has that in spades. Mm-hmm. I think as many of you probably know, the original writer of the book series, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Catholic. Um, and so much of his upbringing and his experience makes its way into both the books and the movies. Um, so certainly that's a, a treat for me as well. Um, and then just as pure spectacle, I feel like it's one of the greatest examples in cinema, but it transcends that because it also gives depth to the characters. Uh, you know, I think about about moments um, like the Denethor when he's this, uh, this uh, you know, stand-in for the king, basically, um, who believes that his son, his son is dead. And so he drags what turns out to be only a stunned and wounded son up onto a funeral pyre and tries to set him on fire. <laughs> Um, because he himself is so mad with grief and kind of just crazy. Um, you know, it's just this really intense, dramatic scene, you know, and uh, I just, those are great moments, I think, in, those, in that movie as well. They're really powerful movies, and they're really good. It brings, because I think, you know, as, as a kid, a lot of times you're forced to read them, um, if not in grade school, at least in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, and I feel like a lot of the, the, the books, while good, they can get long in the tooth in the middle, and I think the movies do an excellent job of bringing that and keeping that engaging. So it's fantastic. Yeah. And all right, it's time. Drum roll. Number one movie right, for me. Let's do it. Let's this do is it. the one that I know that you're going to be somewhat shocked in or argue about its place in the top five. Well, especially since like going into this, I thought our number ones were going to be the same. And then to hear you tell me that you're going to be blown away by it is like, I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat. Well, here. I just think you're going to argue with me, which right. we should, we should figure out a way to settle arguments like this. We really should. Yeah, we need to put some thought on that, because I know there's going to be a few. But, uh, all right, here it is. Number one, Take Shelter. It is a movie if for... I was, if this wasn't an expensive <laughs> microphone, I would flip the table. <laughs> <laughs> so, Take Shelter is a movie from 2011. It is written and directed by Jeff Nichols, who is a fantastic writer-director. Um, has done movies like Mud and Shotgun Stories and Loving and Midnight Special. Um, it stars Michael Shannon, Jessica Chastain, and then Shea Wiggum in a supporting role. Um, the summary, because I know that this is a movie that many of you may not be familiar with, um, the summary from Wiki on this is that the plot follows a young husband and a father who is plagued by a series of apocalyptic visions um, as he questions whether to shelter his family from a coming storm or from himself and his increasing worries over having paranoid schizophrenia. Um, so, again, stretches the boundaries of the you know sci-fi fantasy maybe nomenclature that we're using here definitely a little bit i would argue that it's maybe not science fiction um but i'll let it slide because it's a great movie well so so my argument and i have to be careful because i don't want to fully spoil it for people who have not seen it because i really highly recommend that you go see it obviously it's my number one movie um, I, bl- I would argue that the ending is what makes it a sci-fi fantasy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, I feel like I can argue it based on that. So kind of some of my thoughts on it. Um, what I love about it is it's just a very grounded, character-driven, almost quiet movie until it needs to not be a quiet movie. Um, you see a lot of scenes of like, you know, I'd be like neighborhoods, kind of farm neighborhoods. Um, you see a lot of scenes with uh, 
Michael's character, Curtis, uh, in discussions with Jessica's character, uh, Samantha, you know, just in these everyday moments where they're maybe stressed about bills or they're arguing about different things or they're just talking around the breakfast table. And it all just kind of sets up this realistic feeling of a family. Um, and then it starts to work the tension and you start to see these cracks in, in Curtis's life where he's having these flashes of things like rain that falls like almost like motor oil from the sky. It's a very yellow, thick rain. Um, and he has these visions of that. He has visions of kind of creepy birds, you know, flying in weird circles and making shapes and things. Um, and well, the, the scenes with the birds is some of my favorite in that movie, because I, I believe it was that movie that had all the birds fall from the sky, right? Uh, where they started falling. You know, I, maybe I don't remember if a scene where they actually fell. Possibly, I know that they definitely fly around in different patterns and things like that. It's, it's been a while since it's I've watched this movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so you know, you see scenes like that, but then it will cut to something like them talking at the table about bills, and you're and you're kind of pulled back and forth between this intense you know drama and what's going on with with his visions, and then these just kind of quieter or tense moments between the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you watch as the movie unfolds, you watch as the family kind of starts to fracture a little bit under the pressure. Of, of his concern and desire to protect them mixed with the fact that it, you know, from an outside observer hearing these stories about like, Oh, there's yellow rain falling from the sky, you know, and, and birds flying in circles when none of this is happening in real life, you know, and, and you start to see these things and you think, Oh, is he crazy or, you know, what's going on? And so it just really adds that, that tension, um, you know, and then, like I said, without giving away too much, I love the way that it's scripted at the end where basically it allows you to kind of examine both what he's been thinking this entire time and, and you know, the fears that he has and also the impact of the family and what the family does at the end about that resolution, that plot point. Um, and so I just, as a, both as a father myself and as a person who cares about my family, that always gets to me, that concept and that understanding of, if I felt like something bad was going to happen, what lengths would I go to protect my family? Mm. Um, you know, just really has a, a, a large meaning to me in my life. Um, and, and just the, the final two lines of the movie, um, I can never watch the final two lines without choking up. I, I actually, just to, you know, just to kind of, I guess, dwell in them a little bit, as I was preparing this list, I went back and I watched just the last two minutes of the movie. And even just not even watching the whole movie, just watching the last two minutes, it <laughs> still got me. It's like it just... I think it's just because of my, you know, experience as a father, but it really did, did hit me. So excellent movie. Um, you know, great cinematography as well. It moves from wide shots, you know, uh, to moments of claustrophobia and the way that it's filmed. Um, great acting, great writing. Um, so man, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. I really strongly recommend it. And that is my top movie of, of all, you know, sci-fi and fantasy. That's great. I love it. I know uh, I went through a, a stage of my life where I just obsessively watched all of those kinds of movies. I watched Take Shelter. I watched Midnight Special. I watched The Mist, Insomnia, all these like really niche, like slightly spooky, you know, like, like kind of like, like psychological movies. Yeah, yeah. I watched all the psychological through movies. I just went through a phase where I just watched all of them and then I saved all of their soundtracks on my phone because they're phenomenal. Nice. So. Um, all right. 
So I am excited because now it's time for your top five. And I'm going to say this. My top five list has changed in the last like three days that I've been planning for this podcast. My top five list has changed, I think, like six times. Okay. All um, right. So and you so really know you know yourself is what you're saying. It, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's difficult because I feel like I was going into this like, well, top five movies of all time is different than my top five science fiction fantasy. Sure. So I really had to buckle down and like try and like narrow my list down. And so it's kind of changed a little bit. And Dark Knight was actually on there for a little bit. But um, I was actually worried that you would pick that on yours, so I changed some things around so we could have some different, <laughs> some right. different things. Because right. there was a couple of movies I was flip flop in between, so okay. I was like, let's let's see how this goes. All right, so we're gonna start number five, just like we were talking about in 2012, the Avengers movie. You know what else came out in 2012? I, I don't off the top of my head. Prometheus. Ah, all right. All so right. Prometheus came out in 2012, and that is, um, it is a to give a little summary, like I guess we've been doing. Um, it's basically, it is a very silent, quiet prequel to the Alien franchise. Right. Um, and the reason that I like it, it basically deals with uh, a Wayland yutani vessel um, that is sent to investigate. Um, it's a mysterious transmission or, or, or something like that. Um, so they go to this, this unknown planet for the very first time. It's like one of the first manned missions to another planet that's not in our solar system. Um, and they find out about a new race of people that have taken refuge on this planet um, that is basically revealed that they are God. And it basically puts into question um, the human concept of, of religion and, and creation. Um, and it deals with um, some of the very first Wayland yutani stuff. So that we have David in that movie, who is... Um, because we know your favorite person in the whole wide world from the first Alien movie, <laughs> Lance Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson, who played the the uh, the the cyborg, the robot in that movie. The um, they have David. It plays fits that role in this of the quiet, calculating, um, secretly a robot. No one knows he's a robot for some reason, but you know that's there. Um, and I think as a movie, the reason it lands in my top five mm -hmm. is simply because, like I said before, I'm really big into mythology and human religion and studying the concept of creation and psychology um, and the psyche is really tested in this movie because it takes into question everything that we know about one of the most foundational uh, realities of being human is the fact that oh you know no matter what uh, race no matter what area of the world you come from your culture has some reference to a god or gods mm -hmm. and so it takes into question the fact like do we really understand what that means to us and I think as a psychologically bending movie, it keeps you, it keeps that thriller element of the Alien franchise in it um, from the, the Ridley Scott Alien movies. And it kind of takes that forward and gives you that same kind of edge of your seat feeling while all questioning everything you understand about the world creation and the universe. Mm -hmm. So that's why it lands for me is it's an impactful, it's almost like a movie that I could watch over and over and over again and never really get tired of. So that's why for me it lands in my top five. Interesting. Not what I would have predicted. Yeah, I know. That's not what I would have predicted either. <laughs> <laughs> because it was there was some flip-flopping between that one and uh and uh, Midnight Special, actually. Okay. It was my other All competition right. for number five. So yeah. So number four, we move up the list a little bit, and this one had some flip-flopping too, because this is where Dark Knight was gonna land originally. But I went ahead and I went with a different movie that's actually um I think to me it's one of my comfort movies. It's one of the movies that like if I don't know what to watch, I'll put it on. Um, because it's a movie that, again, I've watched like seven times in the last few years and does not get old to me. And that is 2010 Inception. 
Okay, for some reason I thought you were going to say Jurassic Park here, but... You, no, you, Jurassic Park didn't come out in 2010, first of all. Well, so. I, I got that when you said the date, but that definitely threw me. All right, yeah. continue, Inception. So, Inception, um, it's a movie about dreams, and it's a movie about where there's this group of people that kind of operates maybe a little bit outside of legality, um, and you basically... They get paid to go inside. I, mean, I would say more than a little bit outside of reality. <laughs> well, I mean, considering that it's sometimes not always um, willing participants, yeah, yeah, maybe it's a little questionable. Yeah. Um, but they basically create this very elaborate dream world in order to extract information. And where it gets really cool is what they call the concept of Inception, which we had a little Inception moment of ourselves when we talked about podcasts inside of a podcast. We had a True. little podcastception there. Podcastception. But... Uh, the movie Inception deals with this concept of creating dreams within dreams in order to get so deep within someone's subconscious, you can extract information they may not even know about. And as a movie, it is just so absolutely mind bending. The, the, the concept of cool, the way that they did their soundtrack as well, when they had, um, in the movie, they have this, what they call a kicker, which is how you can, you know, when you're in a dream and you fall and you wake up from that dream, that's what a kicker is. And so they have the kicker queued up to a song because as you go, time moves slower, the further in you go. Um, so they have this song that plays. And if you pay attention at the very end of the movie, they have that thing where the credits is a sped up version of the kicker mm -hmm. song uh, or a slowed down version of the kicker song or something. I think the kicker song, I think the, the instrumental piece you're referring to is actually the slowed down version of the song at the end credits. Yeah. The song yeah. is this jazz standard song of some sort. And then the music is slowed down. Yeah. Yeah. The music at the end. And so I, throughout the movie, it's just this really, really beautiful overture that plays over the, these really crazy cinematic shots in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have, and each dream sequence is a little bit different. And so you have this, this really, it's really hard to keep track of if you're not really paying attention, but, um, it lands as number four for me because it is not only so well directed and so by well Christopher Nolan. by Christopher Nolan. Yes. That is a very important thing to throw yes. there. Christopher Nolan, Dark amazing yeah. director. Right. Amazing. Just one of my all-time favorite sure. directors. And so he does such a good job in this movie of the choreograph and the, the, the keeping the story flowing in a way that makes sense and also dealing with this very psychologically twisting notion of um, how we really handle emotion. Because um, Leo's character in the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, um, deals with the death of his wife. Because it was originally the two of them who were going doing this. And she basically goes insane thinking she's still in a dream world and she kills herself. And so he deals with the fact that she pops up in his dreams because it's still his psyche that is... Um, the basis for the the way these dreams are constructed. And so she shows up and kind of throws a wrench into their plans. Um, and so dealing with how we deal with the subconscious feeling of loss and and depression and sadness and how that can affect our everyday lives and when we need to be focused, how that can detour us and all these things. It's just a really touching movie as well. And the way they leave it at the end, I won't spoil that either. But you guys have to watch this movie because it frustrated my wife so much to watch this movie because she she refused she hates the way that it 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 is an uncertain ending, mm -hmm. um, and so it lands that way just because it's just it's so well directed it's so well choreographed so well acted and it deals with concepts that are just really fascinating to me. Nice. So, All right. There's that one. Um, I'm not as well prepared as as you are, so no, I'm kind of going great. off the cuff here. <laughs> But uh, my number three movie came out in 2009, and we're, of course, talking about the one that's coming out next week, Avatar. 
Ah, okay. Right. I love the image. So something about myself, too, is um, I hold a degree in biology um, as I'm going towards my um, paleontology. And one of the things that I loved about Avatar was the fact that they created an entire ecosystem from scratch in a way that is both gorgeous to look at, the way the special effects hold up, and the, the animals and the trees and nature. Everything is just so beautiful about uh, Pandora, which is the mm -hmm. planet they live on. Um, but I love it as a sci-fi sci -fi action movie um, because it deals with what, uh, I guess, what connection we have to culture um, and the fact that what it takes is not necessarily it deals with a lot of like patriotism as well and i think in our world now it's very important of what blind patriotism means um and it also deals with um i'm a really big guy i'm a really big conservation guy so it deals a lot with conservation mm -hmm. and um being really really careful about the resources that we're destroying um and so for me it's a very important message in a lot of ways now about politics and um climate change and conservation and um, how important our connection to nature is. Cause while in the movie it was very physical where they could use their brains to bond with the animals mm -hmm. um, in our sense, it's a lot more mental and a lot more um, cerebral. And mm -hmm. so I feel like it's a, it's less physical and so it's harder to see. So the movie did a good job of being like, even though we can't bond to these animals and we still have this connection to our planet that we're, we're wasting. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that it's really high up on my list because as a biologist and a conservationist, it's really important to me and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. That's interesting. I, I, that one I have a hard time with, uh, not in your placement on the list, but just for me personally, because uh, I have a hard time with the story. I feel like the story is not very strong. But, it's shallow. But I absolutely love the the CG work, the design of the world, the design of the creatures, the the shots of the ocean. Yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm looking forward to the new one for that same reason, for the spectacle of the the special effects. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up in in California, Southern California, I was super into um, you know marine biology, and I actually yeah. thought for a while that I was going to be a marine biologist. So, um, you know, that definitely affects me as well. Um, but the movie itself, yeah, isn't as high on mind, but I, I get what you're saying about the, you know, the look and the feel and all that. So yeah. good, good choice. Uh, kind of out of left field. I wasn't expecting that one. I, was, I thought I might catch you on that one. Yeah. But number two is going to be Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 1993 Steven Spielberg, Jurassic Park. So, so wait, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. Please do. You need to address why this is not number one for you. Okay, I because, know. Because it, the listeners aren't going to know this, but I know as his father that this is all-time Zach's, like, I mean, he, he loves dinosaurs. He loves this movie. I thought I had this slam dunk that this was going to be his number one movie, so I need to know why. Yeah, I think anyone who knows me can very fully understand that uh, Jurassic, the, the whole franchise, really, and while Dominion was kind of soft for me, um, and the fact that they didn't use as many practical effects in the latter three movies... Um, the kind of deviation from the Stan Winston studios that they had in the first few movies. Um, wow, that kind of saddened me. The whole franchise is a really special place in my heart. And I know I kept getting told that this was going to be my number one, and it's not. And there's a very important reason for that. While Jurassic Park is, in my opinion, one of the most perfectly crafted blockbusters ever to grace the silver screen, um, the reason it's not number one for me is because it's predictable. And while it's not always a bad thing, um, I think it's good that the way the first Jurassic Park movie was, was it was a human movie with dinosaurs. The new movies are dinosaur movies with people. Yeah. So it's actually crafted as a, as a, as a real story, and it sticks somewhat relatively true to the nature of Michael Crichton's uh, novel, mm -hmm. which was awesome, I, albeit with a little bit less of the, the fear of the Japanese. Um, <laughs> so that was good. good call for Steven Spielberg for maybe softening that just a hair. Sure, bit. yeah. Um, but... Um, just for me, 
it's a it's a really special movie. I can throw it on whenever I have nothing to watch. It's kind of like Inception for that for me, where I could just watch it. And I love it. I can quote the entire movie from beginning to end flawlessly. I might as well be, you know, the way the actors deliver their lines and everything. It's just so special to me. Mm -hmm. The interaction between the big three, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Sam Neill, and um, uh, Laura Dern, the way that they act together is just perfect. But the reason it's not number one for me mm -hmm. is simply because... It's just not, it's not, it's hard because from a science standpoint, it is absolutely groundbreaking because it took real science and adapted it to, to a thriller film. Um, and so it took that kind of idea of real science that's happening now as we're seeing kind of in the future with some of the projects um, about the Chickenosaurus, the Jack Horner Chickenosaurus project. Um, and the attempt to bring the woolly mammoth back to life mm -hmm. um, and some genetic cloning stuff like that. So it's a real, it's based in real science that makes it for me number two, because I'm big into science and genetics and, and, and obviously paleontology. So it mixes everything I like and just puts it in a nice little, pretty little package with the bow. Um, and is, I mean, for what they knew at the time, it's very, very accurate to paleontological discovery. Um, of course, now we know different about the lost chapters and stuff, but that's the, from different podcasts. Um, but the reason it's not number one, I know I'm kind of dancing around that yeah, point right yeah, now, yeah. Uh, but the reason it's not number one for me um, is just because the movie that I picked as number one, I think hits me a little bit harder than this one, emotionally okay. and, and psychologically. All right. This movie for me is more of like a fun look into the dangers of, of science and capitalism, mm -hmm. um, but my number one movie ranks above it for the simple fact that it is not only psychologically... Um, important to understand as a culture, um, but it's also one that I think delves deep into um, how we view our world. And I think Jurassic Park is just, it's a great movie, but it is a blockbuster. And so it falls just shy of that number one. Spot. All right. Well, now I'm super curious what your number one is. So I want to see if you can guess it because I'm surprised it was not on your list. Well, I have a, I don't know if I want to steal your thunder. I, I have a guess. Do you want me to guess? Do or it. Not? 2014. Well, I don't, I don't remember what year this movie Go came Go ahead, out. take a guess. I'm going to guess Interstellar. That is correct. Interstellar is my number one science fiction fantasy movie. It, can I just call out Hans Zimmer for a minute? You can do whatever you want. Hans Zimmer, soundtrack in that movie. I used to go to sleep to that soundtrack. Okay. It was it's just so soundtrack. comforting. Yes. And um, Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite composers, that aside. But anyways, the reason that Interstellar is so special to me is for the fact that I'm really huge into um, space and the exploration of space. And the movie messes not only... Because uh, for people who haven't watched it yet, which um, I feel like it's split pretty 50-50 on people I know that have watched it and haven't. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's special to me about Interstellar is it takes that same concept that I said in Avatar about the idea of conservation because the Earth is dying and we're basically scavenging for, to survive on planet earth and so now we've created this kind of way to travel into space in search of a new planet a new more hospitable planet um and i think as i've gotten older the relationship between um the main character um and his daughter has kind of hit me harder and harder mm -hmm. as i've gotten older as he's watching her age as he's not aging um He's watching her age and he's missing out on her life, but he's doing this in an attempt to save her and her next generation. Um, and I think it's just, it's a really, not only is it bending with the going through the black holes and dealing with time travel um, and things like that and dealing with 
realities that are outside of our own um in that whole scene where he's interacting with himself and his daughter from the past when he falls through the black hole mm -hmm. all these really weird twisting psychological things it deals with at, at its core um the humanity of it all where we come from as the human race what we hold to be important to us mm -hmm. and how far we're willing to go like you were talking about with take shelter how far we're willing to go to save the people we care about and the planet um, even though we've let that die, are we still willing to try and save ourselves? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I like that choice. It's a, it's a fun movie. I definitely about midway through, you know, again, if we're trying to avoid spoilers, I won't get too much away, but there's a moment on a planet, um, that really hits to the core concept of time dilation and, mm -hmm. and aging and, and how that all works. And, uh, definitely one of maybe the, the most interesting moments in a sci-fi movie that I've seen. Um, and so I, I get it. It's a great movie. Yeah, I love it. And so that ranks number one for me just because it's beautifully choreographed, beautifully shot. The special effects are fantastic. The music, the acting, everything about it is just, you know, and Matthew McConaughey, great job. Great <laughs> job. So, yeah, those are my top five movies right there. Sci-fi nice. and fantasy. Good, good so. list. Uh, not as many arguments as I thought we'd have, but yeah. definitely, I think, some surprises, uh, certainly. And, you know, I guess it does just give you give everyone a little insight into the two of us, and that's kind of where our goal was. So, Good. That is our top five. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what some of the next podcasts, the Marvel kind of focused podcasts are going to look like. So we will be back in just a moment. And we are back on Mind the Snap. Um, next up, we have a segment that we like to call Bugle Bites. And essentially what that is, is that is Marvel news and briefs, uh, just kind of interesting factoids and, and news articles that we want to have a chance to chat about. Um, and if you don't get the reference, that is a reference to the Daily Bugle, which is the paper in the Spider-Man world. Uh, so we came up with a very clever Bugle Bites. We do need to spell something because we realized this was not a visual medium. And we're so clever that the Bites is spelled B-Y-T-E-S. It is important to clarify. Yes. You can't see it. So we're going to have to spell it. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> what is today's topic, Zach? Well, I've been looking in the news today recently. Um, and I feel like there's we're kind of in a dead zone as far as Marvel stuff right now, but I think there's a couple of things we can really quickly go over. Um, the trailer, as far as at the time of this recording, the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 just came out. Yes, it did. What are some thoughts? What are we thinking? You know, I mean, I'm excited for the movie. Um, I thought that the second one was kind of a little bit of a letdown to me, so I went into this thinking, ah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if I like the Guardians as much anymore. The Christmas special didn't do a ton for me. Um, and that might be sacrilege. I know a lot of people liked it, but I thought it was okay. So I was relieved to see that the trailer kind of hit all the right bits for me. So we'll see. Um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it, and I think it'll be hopefully a good wrap-up for the trilogy. It should be pretty good. we got the High Evolutionary in it. We've yep. got Alan Warlock in it. So it's a lot of interesting concepts. We should see where they take it. Is that? Uh, I know this is a lot of on people's minds. Maybe we should talk to Dorse about this. Shout out, Dorseus. Um is that an Among Us reference in the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer? 
Uh, I did not think about that, so I don't the know. The spacesuits of it. It's just, it's right. just, anyways. No, just no, no. I mean, I get what you're saying. Sus. I get what you're saying. I just haven't thought about that. Well, yeah. we can say sure. Yes, right. it is. Excellent. Yes. James Gunn is very clever, and I'm sure that's what it was. I think he came out on Twitter and said, no, that's not what it is, oh, but I, I could be wrong. Oh. Anyways, um, what's next in the news we got? We got a little bit ago, we had the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania drop. We get our first look, once again, at Majors as Kang. A little bit different look, a little yep. bit different suit, yep. more comic look. Different version of Kang. Different different variants of Kang, yeah. that's true. It's the Microverse Kang. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm not sold on it yet, but I like the look of it. I like the way the trailer was directed, so I'm mm-hmm. holding out hope. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, Ant-Man's always a, a treat in the, mm-hmm. the humor that it brings and some of the acting and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited as well. I'm really curious to see some some more Cassie Lang and see how they work that in, you know, kind of prep the Young Avengers a little bit. Yeah, um, they did more. recast her. Did you see that? It's a new actress now. Is it? I thought Lang. it was the same one as the last one. It's different oh. because the actress that they had in... In Endgame, when she's older, is different than the one they did. And it was everyone was all in a riot because they don't look alike. <laughs> I, that's I yeah. did not pay enough attention. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, it's in good. Uh, it's in good hands. Um, do we want to talk about why it's in good hands as go, of recently? Go for it. Because there's been a lot of issues. I wasn't super. I wasn't the hugest fan of some of the newer Marvel movies. Multiverse of Madness was kind of a letdown. The Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special wasn't fantastic. She Hulk is. I've heard mixed things about that. I have not actually watched it yet. That's. I'm getting to it. Um, and I, yeah, know... I, so I can speak to She-Hulk because okay, I have watched yeah. it. So I feel like She-Hulk was, had a really good concept. Um, I actually, I like the, you know, the main actress. I think it, it all worked pretty well. Um, where it maybe got off base a little bit is I felt like it might've been just an episode or two too long, mm. um, that they maybe didn't have enough concepts for a strong, you know, I think it was seven episodes. Maybe it would have been better as five or six. Um, and you know, there were definitely some cheesy moments. There's been a lot said online about some of the CG work and, and even with some of the improvements where they went back and tried to clean it up. Uh, you know, it's still a little dodgy in places. Um, well, so is Dr. Strange's third eye. So we can talk about that later too. <laughs> but you know, I, I thought, I thought it was okay, but I get what you're saying. I mean, I definitely think that there's some, maybe some weakness detected in some of the last few efforts with Marvel. So yeah. Yeah. We just got word on Kevin from Kevin Feige saying, that they're trying to slow down on releasing the Marvel movies to give them a little more thought and effort. And he said, I think I quote, uh, quality over quantity. So I hope we can kind of see a return to the original phase one style of, of writing and directing because those were some of the still hold up as the greatest Marvel movies of all time. Yeah, so. and I'm, I'm super excited with this announcement. I, I hope that there's truth to it, and I, and I hope that they really are going back and reassessing. I think that Phase 4 really kind of wandered around, and mm-hmm. aside from the multiverse stuff, it seemed a little directionless as far as a you know a, a theme. I mean, we've been spoiled with some of our previous phases where they just did such a good job of you know plotting from beginning to end and kind of wrapping things up. Um, this one just seemed kind of filler in a way. I mean, there were some great movies and great TV shows, but there wasn't an overarching theme. I guess maybe multiverse would be that theme, but that's yeah, what they're, I, they're calling it the multiverse saga. Yeah. But I just don't buy into the fact that they actually have a, a place they're going. With yeah. It. I mean, we know they're headed towards secret wars. Um, but that's, uh, well, we should say we, we think, we think they're heading towards Well, they've announced secret wars that that's going to be the the end of the phase, the the secret wars and what, what, what's, uh, the Kang, the Kang Kang dynasty. Dynasty. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, I think it's a good thing to do. I think they need to just take a minute to reassess, make sure they've got the strongest material that they can. Mm -hmm. I know we've heard some rumors about blade and some of the, you know, reshoots and some re-scripting that went on there. Um, and you know, so I just think it's maybe time to just let Marvel reassess. And I think that's a good thing. I think it'll be, a um, if we want the franchise to stay strong, that needs to happen from time to time. Yeah. 
I agree. So hopefully, you know, all good there. Uh, if we transfer a bit into the comics segment, sure. Um, as of the time of this podcast recording, we're talking late December. It might come out early January, so we're talking uh, December, January timeline. We've got a few comics coming out. Number one, I think, on everybody's list is Dark Web is still coming out, and uh, there's been a lot of flack for the the appearance of Spider Man, the, the the Norman Osborn esque with the glider and the glowing thing, and it's just it's kind of a weird. And they brought Norman Osborn into the story in kind of a weird way, and we've got Gold Goblin going on now. So it's kind of a lot of weird stuff. They're kind of, I don't think they really know what they're doing anymore, <laughs> personally. Um, so we'll see what they do with Dark Web, but it's branching off into um, Avengers and some different um, some different side comics. Um, we're getting a new Venom line. But I think something that you would want to touch on a little bit is the new Joe Fix-It miniseries that, that's coming out soon. Well, yeah, I mean, Joe, Joe Fix-It has been a character that I've enjoyed seeing in Hulk. It's actually something that I wondered if we'd get in the MCU at some point. Um, so we'll see. It sounds like right now they're focused more on the, the Planet Hulk storyline, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about this. I, I always have felt like, you know, kind of a smart Hulk um, was a fun, you know, divergence from the typical portrayal of Hulk kind of as a pseudo Frankenstein's monster. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely am curious to see where this, this miniseries goes and, and how it reads. So yeah, I would, I'll definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. We've got that one coming. Um, there's a new Scarlet Witch line and a Wasp line that touches on some of the old classic Wasp comics. Um, and so we've got some good things coming from Marvel. We've got, uh, the new Avengers line that is going, that appears to be, um, mixing kind of the concept of the original classic Avengers with like the gold Iron Man suit and mm -hmm. stuff like that with kind of the new modern Avengers. So I'll be curious to see where that goes. But as far as comics, that's kind of where we're at right now is it seems almost as directionless as the movies. Interesting. Some some strong thoughts from Zachary. Yeah, I I've got I've got theories about it, but that's that's where I stand is we're maybe we're maybe in kind of a lull on on Marvel stuff right now. Huh. So fingers crossed that it all happens good and I'm kind of interested in the Joe Fix It series, so we'll see. But they really you know, much love to Marvel. You guys have some great writers going for you right now. But let's wrap up Dark Web. I don't know what in the world is <laughs> happening there. There's supposed to be a new Spider-Verse thing happening too, so We'll see. We've got word on, on Across the Spider-Verse is coming, the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, which was a fantastic movie. Super excited for that. We're going to see a lot of the old... There's rumors Tom Holland's coming back. There's rumors that wait, wait, Toby's to coming back. Tom Holland in the, in the, in animated, the animated movie. Right. Across not, the not in a new Spider-Man live action at this point. Well, yeah, that's still up in the air, right. I think, as well, on what the new Spider-Man's going to look like. But there's rumors that Toby, Andrew, and Tom are coming back to voice animated versions of their yeah, movie I'm comics. behind that. That'll be fun. So, and we've got Oscar Isaac as 2099, Michael mm -hmm. O'Hara. So we've got cool stuff coming. And that is today's Bugle Bites. Awesome. All right. So our next segment, I think we want to take just a moment to kind of chat about what we can expect to see, you know, on the normal episodes of this podcast. This one's a little bit abnormal, not because we are, but we also are. Um, but because we're just kind of doing a little bit of an intro, I think we'll have a little more focus next time. And so we kind of want to talk about what you can expect. So Zach, fill us in. What can we expect? Excellent. That was a great handoff. 
Here's what we're looking at for the next and the future of Mind the Snap. We're kind of taking a look in our next episodes that we're going to try and hit some very important points. We're going to keep up to date with the Marvel comics and movies as much as we can. Um, but we're going to have some fun segments coming in next week. We're going to start doing some Marvel character bios, giving all of you guys who maybe don't know as much about the comics, who are coming to hear about the movies, give you guys an insight on the characters and their origins in the comics and how it relates to the MCU, and just kind of give you an overview in every episode of some pretty fun Marvel characters. So that's coming in the next episode. Um, as well, we're going to bring back Bugle Bites and bring in some more new stuff as far as that goes as well. Um, the goal of this podcast, for the most part, is just to keep everyone engaged and ready and give them kind of a cool, fun space to talk about um, Marvel. Um, it's a big part in everyone's lives. You know, see everyone dressing up for Comic-Con. There's some really awesome cosplayers out there. There's some great stuff coming out for the movies and the comics. And our goal in this podcast is kind of just to keep everyone up to date with all of that. Um, I know I really enjoy listening to podcasts of my favorite franchises. Um, and so this is kind of my way of giving back to the community and having them, giving them a space to, to hear that and listen to that and engage with us as well. So I just have one question for you. Is the first bio going to be my all-time favorite character, Peter Porker Spider-Ham? Yeah, I mean... I'm not going to lie, he's on my list too. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's be real. A pig in a Spider-Man suit is pretty cool, so we might have to get to that at some point. That is pretty awesome. And you got to think, in Across, in Into the Spider-Verse, who better to voice him? Uh, then? Um, it was it was John Mulaney. Really? Yeah. And I just feel like he did a great job. And so we could talk about him. Interesting. I did not realize that. Excellent. All right. Well, see, I learned something today too. That's right. Yeah. We all did. Um, so, anyways, I think, I think that's. Do you have anything else to add? On no. That? I, I mean, thank you everybody for listening. Um, sure. This will be an exciting journey. Um, and Zach, tell us, tell us all how you how they can find more about us. That is excellent. So if you guys are really interested, keep following up. Our podcasts are coming out on Spotify and Apple Music, so keep an eye out for those. You can interact with us online at nerdsandsuitspod at gmail.com. Send us your feedback, your suggestions, what you liked or didn't like about the show. Follow us on Twitter at, under, at nerds underscore in underscore suits. And also follow us on Instagram, same handle. And keep an eye out for us to start appearing on other social media platforms to stay up to date on our podcast. And everybody, that's it for me. This is Zach. And I'm Brandon. And we just encourage you guys to mind the snap. We'll see you next time.